Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Lift Effect podcast. I am your host, Matt McNeil, founder, clinical director, and director of human performance at Lift Effect, where we assist professional pilots with maintaining better mental health and optimizing their mental skills. The goal of this podcast is simple to help pilots and other high liability professionals and disciplines come out of the shadows to discover how we can live better lives personally and professionally. Join us each episode as we discuss various topics ranging from mental health, mental skills and performance, to business, entrepreneurship, and a few other surprises along the way. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another Lift Effect podcast. I'm your host, Carl Keller. I'm here with the man of the moment, as always, Matt McNeil. We want to welcome you and uh, hope that you're having a great week. Looking forward to having some interesting conversation, gotten some questions from our listeners. First of all, how are you feeling, Matt? I'm feeling awesome. You're sounding better than- <laughs> How are you uh, feeling? <laughs> well, I think we're both on the mend um, for the most yeah. part. It, it's been a- I rounded a corner for yeah. sure. Last, yeah, it was it was a good two two weeks, week and uh, ten days of I was you know out down for the count, but definitely feel like I've rounded a corner. I still have all this like upper head stuff going on, but the fatigue and <clears throat> you know um, just like the out of the the brain fog. Whoa, it, that was something else, man. That was a real thing. I was like. I did not, I, I would go and do things and wouldn't know what the hell I was doing. It's just like, forgot completely why I'd walked into a room or was typing something and then just like veered off into w weird places. Like, what did I just write? I go back and like, this is, it was a, it was a real thing, which people have complained about. And like, like my clients have complained about. And so I, I knew it was a real thing, but it was just an interesting. Yeah. We've uh, actually had some conversations about this previously, but uh, yeah, unfortunately yeah. you had uh the unfortunate uh, privilege of having to uh, go through it yourself. I did. Oh, well, I took it. I took a ton of notes um, just throughout the whole experience of what Leave I was. Leave it to you to do that. I mean, I got like all these notes <laughs> of it, and, and I was going back and read. Well, I'm trying to like understand like what 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 happened and what was the what was my journey, you know, on it, and it was pretty yeah. interesting. I could read you. No, I'm not going to read you these notes. Okay. Anyways, yeah, yeah I'm good. You will eventually. <laughs> yeah, sometime it'll come up. You, you'll you'll slip it in. Um, I, the only comment I'll make is uh, you talk about rounding the corner. I want to square it. I want to make a ninety right. I want to get <laughs> a ninety. You know, this you want to def defy gravity. <laughs> yeah, I just want to depart. You know, a, a clean cut. Yeah, man. That's just like you. You're yeah. clean cut. See, I, I'm not. <laughs> oh, whatever. I am not clean cut. I, I I round things. I can't make sharp edges. That's just oh. I just don't have the the vernacular or the the fortitude for that. <laughs> Sloppy success is better than perfect mediocrity. Is yeah. is 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 something I live by because I'm limited by it. You know, as my kids always tell me to me to my faces, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, man. Well, so I know funny. people are uh, you know. Uh, only wanting so much banter so we can get yeah, into uh, enough of our garbage. <laughs> yeah. Well, Let's go. It'll come back. Yeah. Uh, Comes with the territory. Yeah, yes, it does. What do we got? What do we got? Well, man? We got several, we got a number of questions to today and um, uh, I'll, I'll lead off with a few and I have a feeling one is going to dra drag us down the rabbit hole. So I'm going to save that one for last. Okay, um, cool. One of the, the first questions we have is it uh, they go. What is the role of peer support programs in aviation for mental health, and do peers actually have the training to help pilots with significant problems? Because several of the airlines have some programs, whether people are aware of it or not. So yeah. that's really what they're referencing. So what is the okay? What is the role? Let's start. Let's. There's a couple questions in there. What is the role of peer support programs? Um, so peer support programs have been around for a long time. Uh, they started with the, um, critical incident response or CISM, crit critical incident stress management. That was where if somebody had something that happened at work, like a scary event, let's say maybe an engine had, um, uh, they had to shut an engine down or there was a, a medical emergency where somebody maybe died on the airplane. Um, 
what they found was if you can get people in a, a you have a window of time where you can, if you can have people talk about their experience and just be able to kind of offload what happened, that it decreased the likelihood that there was going to be a negative, um, an ab reaction to that event psychologically. So, you know, stress, a stress reaction. Um, and so critical incident response was, uh, where you, you didn't need mental health professionals to do it. You could have trained peers that understood how to facilitate these kinds of conversations and they could educate the person about, um, effects of stress. And here's some ways you can take care of yourself in the immediate to, you know, reduce the likelihood of stress. It actually started with, um, when there were bank heists, like a bank would get held up, everybody would get freaked out at that worked at the bank and totally scared. And so they, they would have these, you know, trained peers to go in and, and, and help them debrief. And so aviation grabbed some of that. Um, and you know, it was for like natural disasters and floods and hurricanes. They did all this critical incident stress management or stress debrief debriefing, and then it carried over into aviation. So that's that's where that started. And then there was HIMS, which is Human Intervention Motivational Study, which is alcohol and drug abuse among pilots. Um, absurd name that the FAA gave it, but they don't want to say, you know, pilots with alcohol and drug problems, they got to give it a fancy clinical weird name that nobody really understands what it is. That's how shamed it is. Um, and that was peer-driven as well. Like Alcoholics Anonymous is a peer program that you have peers and there's good uh, evidence that 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 is a useful thing it's not treatment even pilots that are in the hymns program have to go to treatment and they have to be monitored by professionals uh physicians and and um uh, psychotherapists and you know seat chemical dependency uh professionals um but the but there's peer monitoring and peer support that's the peer model and then there was professional standards which is people that can't get along people that have annoying personal habits inside the flight deck. And instead of uh, going to management, which is basically discipline, they said, well, how about we have uh, peers that are very minimally trained in mediation, bring the two parties together to see if they can have a discussion to kind of work it out, uh, find a, a solution offer the olive branch, make peace, whatever. And that's was a professional standards was a great way to keep uh discipline off the table. You know, it was like, okay, you have a problem with somebody else. Um, we have two options. You can go to professional standards and work this out, or you can go to human resources where they're going to punish you. So your choice, how you want to handle that. And then the last iteration <clears throat> is uh mental health. Where it was pilots for that, but it wasn't pure supported which was eap there was something yeah, that's that was, not peer eap right, it is wasn't not that's peer not at all. peer at all no, but that yeah. was kind of for for some airlines right that was almost EAP. like it that, that if you had to deal with certain right. issues you went there but there was no peer support right. with that employee assistance kind of, is is yeah and here the problem is this is the whole foundation of how you know why lift that's effect really peer is support effective kind of. right but but let me just say about eap is the problem with eap EAP is employee assistance program. Yep. The problem is, is that pilots don't utilize the EAP because family members of pilots utilize EAP, but statistically the number of pilots that would utilize the EAP was like far south of, of 1%. I mean, it was a tiny fraction of pilots would actually utilize it because pilots are underground and they're like, why do I want to go talk to a mental health professional that doesn't really understand anything about me, doesn't understand FAA, doesn't understand the stress of this? Why would I put myself on the line and my career on the line to go do that? They're not comfortable. So they found is that pilots don't don't go to the EAP. It was a wasted service. It's great for family members of pilots. It's great for flight attendants and mechanics and people that don't hold a medical card. Um, but pilots don't use the EAP, which is the whole reason lift effect exists is pilots needed a place to go. But I digress. There was the, the mental health peer support programs, which have, you know, were started, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and, and it's, they've started to gain popularity. So a pilot says, Hey, I'm really stressed out. I'm really down, pick up the phone, talk to a peer, um, and, and have kind of a it's sort of like call a friend, right? Call a buddy, um, somebody that will listen to you. And pilots were a little bit more 
uh, less hesitant to talk to a peer, still quite hesitant, I'll say, but to talk to a peer than to pick up the phone and talk to a mental health professional. And so that was the, um, that that's what, that's the role of, of peers. And I think that the, you know, EASA in Europe, they're, they're putting a lot more emphasis on peer support. Um, there, I think the FAA is starting to look at peer support and, and putting more emphasis on it. I have my own opinions about that. Um, I think, you know, you don't have to report a visit to a peer because a peer isn't a professional and it's sort of like, okay, it just takes, it gets rid of a bit of headache for everybody. Um, is that a good thing for the pilot? That's a whole nother thing, which gets to the second question, which was, are peers do peers actually have training to help the pilots? So the, the actual people that are that you're calling, what yes, what qualifications, if any, do they have? None. They I mean, get? okay, so yes, are they trained? They get very minimal training, like a couple days of basic listening skills, basic, you know, how to listen, how to have a conversation, how to be present with somebody. Um, are but peers are not mental health professionals. They have no uh, uh, training or qualification to be able to identify. Okay, this is a serious issue, and it puts the peer in a, a difficult place because sometimes they're going to get somebody that does have a big issue, and some peers are savvy and they've taken an interest. And they've really paid attention and they've tried to cultivate their skills. And, you know, I think peers should be trained in an ongoing basis, not just once a year, which is typically what happens. Uh, they do a one-year training and, you know, there should be ongoing training opportunities, but, uh, and, and they will make a referral, but there's issues with that. And so I think like calling and just feeling like, you know, you can talk to somebody because you're stressed and this person is going to understand you and not judge you. There's good benefit to that, but I think there's an over-reliance. This is my opinion, and it probably won't be popular. <laughs> it never is, but I think there's an over-reliance on peers to do the job of a mental health professional because, hey, guess what? You don't have to report a visit to a peer. It's not reportable. There's nothing on your 8500 form. It's not a mental health professional. And I think it's this subtle, you know, subconscious tendency to like circumnavigate reporting, which then has, I can have poor implications on the pilot's actual health. I think if you're, if a pilot's having a problem, pilots deserve to be able to be treated by a professional, not just a peer. And I would say, okay, peer for mental health, that's great. Well, then why don't we do peer for regular health? Why don't we train people in some basic health stuff and and have the pilot call the peer and say, you know, here's what's going on health-wise you know, is this, is this an issue? Like, well, if they would never do that, right? That's a, that's preposterous. If, if you're sick, you go to a doctor, you know, you go to a, um, a, a, a professional. And I think that with mental health, I think that it's this no different. In fact, it's more critical because your brain is like the most complicated uh, machine in the galaxy and mental health problems are the hardest problems in medicine to diagnose. And so I think you got to be really, really careful with the peer programs. There are some peer programs that are very good, uh, like incredibly good. They've, they've really invested in it. They work with uh, Lift Effect to help monitor and, and support, and they have very defined referral thresholds. Other peer support progr programs are terrible. They have this culture of, no, 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 we're going to take care of it all under the peer program so that pilot's not in jeopardy, and then pilots end up committing suicide when they've been talking to the peer program for months and they were never referred, they were never referred out. It was like the peer just, and, and what do you think that does to the peer? It's devastating to the peer. So there's, I think peer programs have some, have some utility, uh, some very good utility, but there's a lot of room to create some definable uh, sa safeguards in place so that the it's they're not trying to do the work that they shouldn't just to try to hide or keep the pilot underground. That's my opinion on peers. And to be clear, most of these peers, if not all of them, are volunteers. They are they're all volunteers, they're, and they're, they're amazing all, people. They're they're all they're, line, yep, fellow line pilots yes. that are yes. doing this in their spare time. Um, so it, burnout 
is is huge and, and peers are here i mean the peers are like here these are amazing people a lot of these peers are my best friends i was in the peer programs when i was at the airlines and helped you know was the subject matter expert to kind of oversee <laughs> these and i've taken lots of calls as a peer and and these are amazing individuals that have hearts of gold. I mean, they are there because they care about our community and they they care about the mission and they want to help. And I think it's really important to protect them and so that they're not overburdened uh, with responsibilities that they shouldn't have and they shouldn't be thrust on them. So the peers are amazing though. I mean, they're they're just awesome people, awesome individuals. As an aside, hopefully down the road, if it, if the circumstances are are right maybe we could even have one on oh i've got yeah i've got a few that that cool. we're going to definitely I, I think that would be nice on. to get their perspective and but it's still something that'd be good to hear yeah well, yeah absolutely well i'm glad that was the short a good question no that was yeah. a great question I'm, I'm glad that was this the short one <laughs> okay. crap man we're not going to get to anything yeah. okay yeah. well, well okay. I, i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of uh cut this one down a little bit you know, again, th uh, people are just really enjoying the podcast. Uh, we've gotten so many comments like that. But um, it's, uh, you know, we had one that says, what an incredible value you're offering. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll kind of simplify this one. Because it's come up a number of times. And you've kind of talked a little bit about it. Yeah. And that is the V1 project. Mm. Do you have any more specifics? And yeah, how can they get involved? V1. Okay. So the V1 project is a, a coaching program where we're going to give pilots a chance to work on the really nine specific areas of their life in a group setting. That's the first issue, a mission. And the second is to help pilots build community with other professional pilots. In the V1 project, what we're going to do is work on over the course of probably a year, we're going to work in nine different areas uh, of their life. A couple of them are, are um, you know, physical health, mental health, intimate relationships, family and friends, those kind of nine areas. I'm not going to get into what they are. It's not really important here, but it's a kind of a, the, it's so you create a very balanced existence. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Because as pilots, we tend to be very focused on career, um, very focused on finances, very focused, oftentimes very focused on like, you know, recreation. Like that's, I'm off time, I'm, I'm off work and this is what I'm going to do. And then what, what happens is other parts of your life get ignored until something blows up and then you got to run over there and tend to it. And so we're trying to create a, a, a way of living in a more balanced way and giving pilots an opportunity to vet through these different areas of their life, figure out what state they're in, and then build some tools on how to improve those parts of your life in a group context. Because as I think we just work better as group, there's good momentum there. And secondly is pilots are pretty, I think pilots are lonely. Um, cause we're on the road, we're in hotel rooms and we, we, we crave community of people that are really trying to better themselves. People that are, are trying to do the right moves in their life and not the wrong moves. So, you know, you are the sum of the five people you surround yourself with in every way. And it's really important to surround yourself with the right people. And so we're creating a organization of, of really quite frankly, the right people, people that are not perfect but people that are trying to do better and trying to, to have a more fulfilled life, not just a one that's filled with achievement. So the V1 project, uh, the way it's going to work is, and we're actually launching it middle of um, uh, next month. So in like less than a month, we'll be the first group. It's going to be cohorts of about 20. So the first group is going to be alpha, um, alpha group. It's first group of 20 pilots, and we're going to start them on uh, uh the coaching program it's about a year long to cover those areas and as we add cohorts we're going to do the same thing but then we're going to have opportunities to bring all of the cohorts together as one essentially there'll be like bi-weekly calls for each cohort where they work as a group and if pilots can't make it it's all recorded so that they can view the videos we'll probably have create accountability partnerships within that so you kind of have your accountability buddies where you're working on this stuff and you can kind of hold each other accountable. And then we'll have bi-weekly full community calls where on those calls, I'm going to probably have special guests that are going to come in and we can interview them. 
We can do uh, some, tra- they're going to offer some training opportunities. And these guests will be experts in those different constellations of your life that have have special skills working with professional uh, pilots. So that's that's what the V1 project is. And just to confirm, pilots only. Yes, pilots okay. only. Well, I'm yep. going to have a couple other comments that'll, yeah. that are going to expound on this question because it leads into another one. But I, I want to touch back on what you said about that connection. Oh, let me just say one one thing real quick. And oh, if you want, ahead. if you're interested, just type info at lifteffect.com. The V1 project is the the site is actually being constructed right now. So we've got emails for it. But just just if you're interested in it, send uh an email to info at liftaffect, L-I-F-T-A-F-F-E-C-T.com and just say, hey, I'm interested in the V1 project. And we'll probably reach out to you for a quick phone call just to make sure. This is going to be the right fit for you, and then we'll we'll get you on the list to uh, be in a cohort. Sorry to interrupt you, but just just to put a kind of a exclamation point on what you were saying, of my entire flying career, I came from a military background, as a as I've alluded to in the past, and um, you know after you got done flying, you would get together afterwards a lot of times, and we had at my squadron we had an air crew lounge, and we would get together and we'd talk about things, and. Um, it was just that sense of shared experiences. I got to the airlines and it wasn't anything like that. For the most part, you, uh, a lot of places you landed, it was just you and your captain, or maybe back mm-hmm. when I was there, you still had a second officer occasionally, depending on what airplane you were on. But a lot of times within, you know, you might see somebody from another airline, but for the most part, you kind of, you went to dinner and you kind of went, and that was pretty much it just as a twosome or threesome. Yeah. The only place I ever saw different was Narita. When we, when, uh, and I flew there on the triple for, uh, and this is before things have changed at Narita now, uh, but Narita was kind of the stop. And there were so many airlines that, that flew there. Uh, my airline in specific would stay at one hotel and everybody would come downstairs and it would just be, you'd have 20, sometimes 30 pilots there. And then right just down the road, the flight attendants were. So some, they would come over and it was just like, I, it was, it was the only time I ever really saw a bunch of people get together afterwards. And then there, there were a couple other places. Cause in, in, um, Narita, it's it, most people speak Spanish, uh, like Spanish, Japanese. So they had a little place called little America. So there was a couple of places where you would go restaurants and, and, um, places to have a drink and you get all these other airlines you'd have. You know, Delta, United, American, uh, FedEx. It, it was just amazing. And you'd have international, Qantas, British Airways. So it, it, and it was such a gravitation for everybody to go to those yep. things that it's just not the norm in today's. Not at all. I mean, one of the hardest, all. hardest things for me is when I would, was flying is like I would, I would have like be on a four day trip and I would really connect with somebody, uh, that I was flying with. Um, and it was like amazing. And it was like, oh my God, this is like a brother or a sister. Uh, and and it was it was so meaningful and awesome. And then you'd get done with the four-day trip and you'd never see that person ever again. Because well, pilots live in different cities. They get paired different, you know, it's rare. It's often rare that you fly with the same person. And only when I did hard lines doing a very specific route, uh, the airline I flew, we, we flew into Aspen and there was only like 50 of us that did it. You had to be domiciled in Denver, and there was and and it was you'd hard lines means you fly with the same uh, the, the you pair the FO and the captain are paired for the whole month. That was when I actually had community, yep. um, and it was amazing. And we'd all gather around the, the bonfire at Aspen at the hotel all, every night. It was just like a big party, um, and that was like such a fulfilling time in my life. And it was the best flying I ever did. And it wasn't because the flying was cool and it was challenging and it was it was fun, but it was the community. Yep, that I, I agree. When and I when first... it went away, it was oh, devastating. Yes. It was oh. like I was so lonely. I was we just... had these pre-built lines, and you could actually, based on your seniority, end up flying with the same, um, yeah, either captain or first officer quite yep. regularly. But unfortunately, yep. software allowed the airlines, for, and it was for more for efficiency purposes. Of course, to, yeah. to basically have where they you never got a pre-built. They basically would. You, yeah. It was rare that you got the same schedule ever. And a lot of times, like you say, you may only fly with somebody a one and done. Yeah. Um, yeah. One last thing on this question. And uh, I don't know if you've given any thought to this or not, but 
uh, and it'll lead into the next question, uh, mm-hmm. kind of alludes this a little bit. And that is a lot of those nine um, different areas that you're talking mm-hmm. about, there are other professionals that could benefit from that, whether they're absolutely, and, absolutely. And do yeah. you, do you see yourself, uh, if not you directly, maybe um, pairing up with others in, that, that are more, you know, like for instance, in the medical community, you'd pair up with maybe somebody that's got a lot of experience there and maybe they, they would create their version of a V1 yeah. for, for yes. medical or for anything like that. You sh- like short answer. Yes. A hundred percent. Matt McNeil and associates is, is a, 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 a practice of mine that, that tre- treats these other populations. And I specialize in you know, basically four populations, um, attorneys, physicians, entrepreneurs, uh, and C-level executive types. And so like you go to mattmcneilandassociates.com, you can see what's there. And I have, um, I do quite a bit of work with uh, the Colorado Lawyers Assistance Program. They got a pretty amazing uh, couple people that run that. And and there has been um some interest of trying to construct this and yes that it's it's in the works but v1 is the priority right now and that's a, a herculean effort to get this going and but yeah i think there's other populations of professionals that feel just as isolated and have just as much pressure you know and, and just as much you know hesitation about actually trying to reach out and get help and v1 is not therapy v1 is is coaching community b- building professional personal development that's what the v1 is but yeah i think for sure we're gonna look at that i, I just want to go on record and say that uh there was a name missing in that matt mcneil and associates i i just you know just want to throw that out there <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what associates um, mean yeah, yeah well yeah you see it's a name <laughs> and and so the catch-all yeah, yeah well I, that's just me catch-all you know, the third one, and uh, this is a lewd sauce, but I just want to go on record also again and say this one was hi, Matt and Carl. You know, so I just oh. want to bring that up. Yeah. Well, are huh? you feeling okay. are you feeling unappreciated? Yeah. Well, no, I would never bit, say maybe. That. Never, oh, never. Well. But uh, you know, the, you're very uh, appreciated, buddy. Oh yeah. And P- uh, most of the emails are Matt and Carl. I I yeah. don't think anybody yeah. ever says, Hey Matt, it's Matt oh, and Carl, you know. Yeah. He he sends me some of these questions. And I think he has my name in afterwards. <laughs> Not sure. I don't. I don't even. I don't read the, like like we just copy uh, and paste into an yep. email that's de-identified and we send it to you. So I don't even look. At, I don't even read them. I don't actually. You know, my admin does a lot of that for me. So, uh, like I say, this one really ties into the previous question. Yeah. I'll read. It's a little bit long, but I think it it makes sense. Okay. Hi, Matt and Carl. I really love this podcast. I'm a critical hmm. care physician that sees a lot of similarities among physicians and nurses and pilots, and a strong reluctance to seek help for mental health issues. Mm -hmm. It seems like there are more barriers for pilots since you're dealing with federal oversight. Does Lift Effect offer anything for professionals other than pilots? And you kind of alluded to that. Yeah, Lift Effect does not. Matt McNeil and Associates does. Yep. So you can go there and and reach out to us and we'll we'll get back to you. But no, Lift Effect is only for for professional uh, certificate holders aviation you know pilot certificate holders well I'm glad we got but i appreciate you listening and that's all i'm so cool you know that like we're i there's people that are i think are really interested in aviation and and medicine and aviation have have a very deep relationship especially in the safety perspective so um and you and i talked about that we would do some episodes that weren't just um no. And in fact, I've got somebody that reached out to me. I, I don't, it's not confirmed yet, so I can't say it, but it's somebody not in aviation, but in law enforcement that runs a very big support system for police officers that has expressed interest in in coming on so, the podcast. And I think it would be so cool to have that that discussion to see what do they do? What do they do for law enforcement? for um critical incidents and for you know police officers that have depression and anxiety and yeah Yeah. so it'd be really i i and i was really you know stoked that that this person had said yeah and i you know my 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 wife and son are are paramedics yep so you know dealing with all of the medical issues they see every day so yes there's so many things that cross over and uh connect yep we're Um, all in it together we're all in it together for sure yep 
Here's the last one. And okay. um, I saved it for last because it might just drag you down a little bit of a rabbit hole. Okay. Not that you'd ever do that. Never. Um, it says, I appreciated the perspective on loss that you discussed last week. Mm. Kind of surprising how true this is for me. Mm. One that you, Matt, mentioned and have on several episodes so far is the importance of meaning. Mm. Can you expound on that at some point? which I think some point is today. And thanks again for what you bring to everybody on with this podcast. Yeah, you're most so, welcome. Thank you. Tag brother. Thank it. you, sister, whoever you are that wrote that. That's great. Um, appreciate you. Uh, meaning. Oh God, dude, we got like 20 minutes. How am I going to get into this? Okay. <laughs> so this will probably be a, a to be continued. Um, but if, when I think of meaning, one of the most influential people in my life, mentors to me is somebody i never met somebody that i think died before i was even born i'm not sure i gotta look or maybe right after i was born but it was a, a gentleman named victor frankel and victor frankel was a psychiatrist and a psychologist kind of rare um that ha had survived the nazi concentration camps um he was a a uh psychiatrist and like a neurologist um in his 20s was young and was hauled away with his parents and his wife to Dachau or one of the, the camps and they exterminated everybody in his family except for him they kept him alive um it's like emotional just even talking about it um but they they kept him alive because he was a physician and they wanted him to be treating people and providing medical assistance to prisoners and probably to Nazis. Uh, and so that's why they just allowed him to stay alive. And um, he was so deeply impacted by that experience. And he observed and the power of observation. Like, like you know, people people give me shit about the amount of notes that I take. I, 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 I take um, copious notes about everything. I'm always observing things. And a lot of that is the influence of Viktor Frankl. He really, instead of judging, he observed. Because when we judge, we we kind of lose the ability to make meaning. We lose the ability to learn and have perspective. When we observe is when we have breakthroughs. And he really took good account of what was happening in his own psychology and in the psychology of Nazi concentration camp survivors when they were in that experience. So what you're and seeing is he not only observed his 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 own process, he observed the process of people. It was internal him. and external. Yes. And out of that experience, he created a therapeutic modality called logotherapy. Logos. Logos means meaning. And he's an existential therapist. He's kind of the godfather of existential therapy. Existential therapy is what modern therapy really is, came from. Very important. Um and he came up with this, you know, this modality of meaning making and found that when people were able to find meaning in their suffering, they could actually transcend through it. And when people couldn't, they died in the concentration camps. They just died. They just lost, they lost the will. There's a, there's a quote uh, from, I mean, there's a couple big, big sort of themes and, and uh, oh, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, which is required reading. Like, you must read this book. Your kids should read it. It's a, and that book changed my life when I read it. I mean, it was a, a, a pivotal moment uh, in my life when I read that. It directed my life. One of the things that he talks about in that book is, is, um, there's several themes, big, big themes in this book, but one of them is that is attitude, your attitude. And he's got a quote um, that I just, I have memorized it says, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of, hu of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And it's kind of like, this is like the pivotal cornerstone of his philosophy your you know your attitude is is like that's the foundation and the attitude that you take towards your suffering determines whether you live or you die
literally. And so that was one of the 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 big the big themes of of his work and of his book. Um, he talks a lot about potential. One of his, I guess, famous quotes of potential, and I don't have this one memorized. I'm gonna hear. I've got notes on this. You know, I've t- I've read this book probably 20 times, and I always take more notes than Evernote on it. But here was one of his quotes on potential: "Is is what what man actually needs is not attentionless state." but rather the striving and struggling for some goal worthy of him. What he needs is not the discharge of tension at any cost, but the call of a potential meaning waiting to be fulfilled by him. And let me give you a story that I think demonstrates this idea of potential. There was, he was, uh, he taught in medical school. He taught medical students after he you know, survived the concentration camps and went on to have this very, you know, illustrious career, um, very famous career and wrote books and, you know, uh, but he, he dedicated a lot of his time to teaching medical students. And there's this story of he's, he's doing therapy with this woman who had lost her husband. She was fairly elderly and she was in a, literally a catatonic state. She's like non-functional, barely verbal, um, profound depression, profound depression. And he's in this, this, um, lecture hall and this is how they used to do it. They would have 200 students in there watching as he's doing therapy with this person in a lecture hall. Is it ethical or not? I don't know. I guess probably, but kind of weird. Not really how we do it. Now we have two-way mirrors, right? To do it in, in training, but this is what they're doing. And he's doing therapy with this woman. And he says to her, you know, she's basically lost her will to live. She's lost her husband of of 60 years. And she has no purpose, no meaning, no will to continue to live. She wants to die. And so she stopped eating. She's really stopped responding, just profoundly depressed, retractable depression. And he, he says to her, he says, was your husband very attached to you? Oh yeah. You know, absolutely. I was his whole life. He was my whole life. We, we've been together since we were teenagers, since we were little like children. And this was our whole existence. I was his everything. And he said to her, well, what, what do you think would have happened if you had died first? What would happen to him? And she says, oh, oh, he, he would have been just devastated. I don't think he would have been able to continue on at all. Was, that would have been the end. I was his everything, his rock, his entire life, his total support. He wouldn't have been able to make that. And he says, so emotionally, this would have hurt him. Oh, it would have just, it would have crushed his spirit. And he says, so I wonder, do you think maybe you surviving him was so that he didn't have to survive losing you? That's the ultimate price that you get to pay to save him from that pain. And literally before everybody's eyes, this woman rises out of this depression. It's like the phoenix rising from the ashes. And her eyes start to light up and her whole physical posture changes and her breathing changes. And and she has this like moment of realization of like, oh my God, this is what I get to do as the ultimate act of love for him. And what he demonstrates there is meaning. (laughs) Her suffering was meaningless up until that point. She did not see her. She had no attitude that fostered recovery. And there was no potential in her outlook until that moment when she was able to realize that there actually is meaning in this pain. And, 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 and it was almost like she was able to take this on with, with bravery and even, even some pleasure of like, I got to save him from that. I get to endure this and I can endure this as the ultimate act of love for him. Th- that's the power of meaning. It's not, meaning is not bullshit. It's not trying to put a rainbow on it and make some unicorns, you know, uh, appear. That's not what meaning is. It's not just like, let's just tell ourselves a story to make ourselves feel better. No, it's like, it's, it's, it's perspective taking. 
it's seeing something that's always there. It's like if you ever look at the FedEx logo, right? You ever notice in the X, there's an arrow? Look at it next time. Now, every time you see that damn logo, you're going to see that arrow. You'll never not be able to see that arrow. It was always there and you never saw it. But once you see it, once you're able to get perspective taking, it's there and now you see it. Now you integrate it. And that's what mean that's what meaning is. It's not bullshit. It's real. It's just you've got to be able to to be able to find it and extract it. And when you do, it it changes everything. It changes everything. Along with that, I would uh and this is maybe a little bit more uh to bring it to what I'll, I'll uh, most of the military and even a lot of civilian people can relate to and, and the, the trials and tribulations and how someone found the 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 courage the will the way to survive through such a, a, a horrible ordeal was a uh, former vice presidential candidate admiral stockdale mm-hmm. um stockdale, you know yeah. through uh through the um uh, living all those years in the hanoi hilton and he wrote yeah. a couple of books uh, one was called In Love and War, the story of a family's ordeal and sacrifice during the Vietnam era or years. And then the other one was Courage Under Fire. Mm. So if you if this is something you want to take a look at also that as a more aviation or more, you know, pilot-oriented kind of right. conversation that maybe you might relate to, that might be some good books for you to uh yep. um chew on. So that's that's a couple of things about you know about Frankel is logotherapy um you know considers that people a, a, as a being whose main concern consists in 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 fulfilling a meaning and in actualizing values he's a big value guy he he was pivotal in terms of the importance of values um rather than just like you know living in in mere gratification and satisfaction of drives and instincts that's what i consider like the goals the drives and instincts where values are are actually higher level. Um, Who picked up the 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 torch after you know since he's passed away? Is there any um, current research? I mean, I I think yeah, that's a great question. There's everybody's been influenced by Viktor Frankl. Every every psychologist, modern day psychology, even the behavioristic stuff that came out of existential stuff was influenced by it. So there's there's trickles of of Frankl in. I would say in almost in everything, in everything, there's some Frankel. If there's anything about meaning or value, and honestly, I wouldn't get near anything that didn't uh, somehow touch on meaning and value making, um, is directly influenced by Viktor Frankl. Uh, we're nearing the end, but I'm going to ask you a kind of a, a contrarian question hmm. of, of, of what you've read of him. Is there anything that you look at and go over since it since he wrote it, which was you know a number of years ago? Has is there anything in there that you look at and go, not so much? You know, yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, any- yeah, with everything. I mean, Freud. Yeah. Look, Freud is amazing. I don't care what people say. Like Freud is pivotal in psychology, but a lot of his stuff is ridiculous. It's like. No, not everything is about assholes and sex, right? I mean, it's like that that's just kind of absurd. Uh, but there's, <laughs> you know, but there's some there's some very um spot on stuff of Freud. Hugely important, you know, the unconscious and uh, you know, drives and the especially for men like the role of 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 uh of anger in health problems that we have. You know, in psychology, it, it there's been a few waves. Call them waves. The the existential was like the sort of first wave. Second wave was the behaviorists, where they were just kind of looking at everything as behavior. And then third wave is the the kind of modalities that I use are considered third wave treatment modalities, which is the next iteration of 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 behaviorism. It's understanding. Um, you know the role of thinking and the role of feeling and the role of of psychological inflexibility and so all of the, but all of this stuff is is standing on the shoulders of giants i mean that's what science is is it's not fixed science is always evolving and it's great to be wrong because it gets you closer and closer there's no there's no right 
you know, scientific method is not about being right. It's, it's just about understanding what gets you closer. And so there's lots of iterations, but all of this stuff mattered. We wouldn't have gotten to where we are today with some of these neuro treatment, neurocognitive treatment modalities, these third, third wave treatment modalities without all of the work that was been done before. I don't know where these two fit in. Um, and I guess this will be my last uh, comment would be, we've talked several, a number of times and one of them or two of them have been being in the moment and values. Do you look at those as how do those fit or, or, or is there a genesis or is that just one of those time, um, uh, you know, uh, well, being in the moment is, is so important because the moment is what the, is the only thing that actually exists. And if you think about like when you get in the car and you drive to the airport and you, you can't remember a single thing about that drive because you were lost in future focusing or past tensing, you kind of missed, um, you missed your life. You missed that, that, that gap of time. And time is the only resource that we don't get back. That's it's, it's, it's finite. It, it's always lessening and lessening, at least of our iteration of consciousness that we understand. We're not going to get into quantum stuff here, but um, not on this episode. But I mean, so being well, in the moment two minutes, is, you can do it. You know, I can give it a shot, <laughs> but, but I mean, like be, being in the moment is, is the only thing that's real. And, and, and when you think about even performance, if you're not in the moment of the task that you're doing and you're thinking about outcome or thinking about history, well, that robs you of your ability to stay in the task, to stay focused, to be able to do what you need to do to complete the task successfully. So there's real implications about not being able to be in the moment. And that's that's really just means you have an untrained mind. So you have to learn to train your mind to be able to get in the moment. There's there's performance benefits, but it also makes you more present to reality and not living in the world of illusions of thoughts and feelings. Um, and so values is, I think, what drives you. Values is the beacon. Values is what is the, the direction? Where's the true north? What, so that when you get turned topsy-turvy in the storm of living, that you know what direction to go in, even though your impulses may be telling you otherwise. Values is what you deeply care about, what resonates with you through your own, some of it's through culturescape, what you've been taught, but a lot of it is through your own lived experience about what you connect to. So everything's all interrelated. But I think, you know, living in the moment and values is, you know, maybe a value is to be present. You know, to actually be there when you're, you're, you know, somebody's talking to you and you're actually listening to them um, instead of just being lost in your thoughts and just kind of nodding your head, especially when it comes with your, your children or people you care about. So I think a good uh, future topic or conversation would be on values versus goals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, and then obviously not yeah. today, but that's something that I, I think is, is, has sparked a lot of conversation. And I think it would be worth uh, delving into at a later date. No doubt. And when we run our groups, as you know, uh, that's a huge topic that we spend several weeks on because it's such a big, it's such a big thing, and it's there's yep. a lot of confusion, and it takes a lot of work to to get through that. So we can we can tap into that for sure. If you had to sum up, what what would be the one thing that you want people to take away from today? The one thing I want people to take away from today is. If you prejudge a situation as good or bad, it puts you into a cul-de-sac because it's like it's predetermined. But if you can approach something with, with curiosity and with open eyes, there might be something in there that you didn't see and that once you see it, it changes everything. And I think that's how you can find meaning, especially when you're in pain, especially when you're hurting. It's very easy to just say, this is awful, make it stop, make it stop. But we are biologically driven to feel pain as a warning sign that there's something in there that, we, that needs to be learned or to be recognized or to be seen. There you have it. I can tell you, Matt lives these words. These are not just things that he says, these are things he believes in and 
and actually lives. So uh, I'll just say he has helped so many other people, including me, just even with these podcasts, to help look at things in a different perspective and hopefully help people to have a better life. With that, another podcast concludes. If you have questions, we want to hear and see them all. Please send them to podcast at lifteffect.com. It's our privilege and it's definitely our honor to be able to help, even if it's just one person, that we're able to help people. This was the whole reason for this podcast. So thank you. And we look forward to uh, you joining us again on our next episode. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Lift Effect Podcast. If you want to dive deeper into this episode and every episode, go to our website, lifteffect.com forward slash podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we would love it if you'd follow us on Spotify and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your support. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all with the ID Matthew McNeil. This show is brought to you by Lift Effect, a clinical mental health and consulting company that assists air carriers, corporate flight departments, pilot unions, and commercial pilots by providing comprehensive psychotherapy and mental skills coaching services to pilots with mental health and mental performance related issues. Visit lifteffect.com, that's L-I-F-T-A-F-F-E-C-T.com to book your free consultation. And finally, this podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of counseling, psychotherapy, medicine, or any other healthcare service, including the giving of medical advice. No therapeutic or provider-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional psychological advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining advice for any psychological or medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Lift Effect podcast.